Welcome to the E6 Podcast from Colonial Church, a place for candid conversations about what our church community is learning, what's going on in the world, and how it all applies to our lives. As followers of Jesus, my name is Brooke. This is episode number 89. Do not spill that coffee on that computer. It would be very expensive. I'll try not to. That'd be a cool like, audio effect on the podcast, though, wouldn't it? If Tanner just bumps his... <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Uh... Speaking of audio effect, would there, is there going to be some just crack, snap, crackle, and pop today on the podcast? Oh my gosh! Based up, I uh... hope not. <laughs> I hope there's no continuation of that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to everybody out there who was uh, in our in our room, maybe even listening online, but in our room especially, it was, it was loud, it was quite loud, and it uh, was very scary. I wonder if there's any uh, PTSD today yeah. from some of hey. our folks that. There might be. <laughs> Thought there were gunshots going off in Colonial Church. Golly, man. man it, it was like, it was like, what was, there was one that was like, right at like a, like a big point and like being super serious. And oh yeah, I was trying to be like really, really <laughs> <laughs> needed to make a point here and then just boom. Yeah. It was, it was quite the crack. Yeah. That's yeah. good times. Sorry I jumped right to that. I just, you know. No, it's okay. I had it later in my notes, but that's fine. That's fine. I was not with you guys and. Um, I have just, I guess because I wasn't there and traumatized by it, I was, I'm just laughing. <laughs> <laughs> we may need to go back to that, uh, that trauma teaching. That's uh, right. after. <laughs> Some EMDR, uh, yeah. treatment yeah, right. for yeah. our people. Well, uh, yeah, so we're going to get there, but, uh, we have an interview with RJ Kerper coming up. Um, yes. At, at least we hope it is. Excellent conversation. I happen to have had with him this morning. Hoped. I'd hoped, had every intention of recording the interview this past week with RJ, and uh, we don't talk about it in the interview, but he came down with COVID mm. for the first time. Um, somehow, to the best of us, man. Somehow escaped it the last couple plus years, but uh, he is 71 or 70 and uh, healthy as a horse usually, but... Um, is that a cliche? Are horses healthy? Is that a normal thing? I don't even know. I, where I that feel like means. I don't know where as that soon came as from. Horses have an issue. Some horses are not healthy. Them. Yeah, I actually, I, don't know where that came from. But sorry, it's all right. Just being myself. Well, here. we used a uh, we used a different technology for that um, that interview, so we're hopeful that it's all good. And uh, I'm sure. And by we, you mean Lauren? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Lauren sure used no, it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, who put Lauren know. in charge of anything technical? Whose I'm idea sure, was that? I'm sure the mic popping yesterday person, and all that, that stuff may have been has, me in the sound booth. There's no foreshadowing nope, as to nope, not at all. No, hmm, and, be fine. Uh, yeah, the person that put Lauren in charge of that was also not willing to get up at 5:30 in the morning to record the interview. So I don't know who that could have been but man uh yeah it's probably emily's fault let's <laughs> right. blame emily for it <laughs> sorry emily she was too busy taking pictures it was not time. emily's fault to be clear so lauren you missed out on um baptism weekend and tanner speaking on stage and well that, that's where we're all used to tanner speaking on stage but uh, yeah that guy intentionally that guy won't shut up long-windedly t- no i'm just kidding it was great <laughs> But yeah, we had five baptisms yesterday. And yeah, that was fun. That's, that's so fun. Um, that's always that's always good. Times. I got to get in there in my jeans. It was awesome. <laughs> yes, yes. Can we get the behind the scenes uh, retelling of yes. what happened? Okay, so I had every intention. This is just funny. All right, so I had every intention of bringing a pair of shorts and just just in case. I wasn't sure if they needed me to baptize them because because, because they were, had kind of indicated. 
they kind of indicated the week prior that they had some specific people that they wanted and to And none of them, them. I didn't look at the cards that were filled up, but none of them requested Pastor Tanner? No. No. They, they it was it was either I don't care who um, but those same people who said I don't care who also said we were, they were going to ask uh, a specific person. And so I had handed off the cards for a different for somebody else to follow up with. And so I just and didn't, they did that I person did, did follow yeah, up absolutely absolutely got some good information. Yes, I just missed the we <laughs> the need memo. you to be in here. Uh, <laughs> so hold on, pause. Brooke, no, 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 no. Brooke, I want to keep going. I, I just want to hear you're you're in the cafe. You got the whole church riled up, ready to go, right? Uh, it was tempting to yes. yes, and and I'm like, like it's like. The Von Trapp Family Singers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Von Trapp Family Singers. The Singers Von Trapp. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know what else to Tanner's do. Tanner's crossed the Alps already. Yeah, that's right. He's already gone. Yep. <clears throat> and uh, Well, I, I rationalized yeah. in my head. Well, I, they didn't specifically say they need me. Uh, and and <laughs> there was somebody who come, came down front, and honestly, I needed to be present in that conversation. Sure. Um, given the context of the of, of the stuff we've talked about. And then I wrapped that up rather quickly and then was going to try and hustle back there and go be just be a part of it, be back there, help, and then <laughs> realize you had been waiting on me. And so I'm, I'm sorry. I it come, was just, uh, I'm like, all right, hang on, everybody. I'm going to go check on Tanner. Yeah. I come down the hallway and Tanner's like just now exiting the uh, the room and yep. we're already like, Two minutes into people standing there staring at me, and that's a really long time. Like to with people staring at yeah, you, yeah. People have like like the baptism people, like the, those getting baptized. They've already, already come in, in. They're already standing there. Everybody's yep. just chilling. And uh, I'm like, hey, dude. Yeah. Uh, in my because my understanding was that you were doing them. See, and everybody I'm, thought somebody else was doing. This is funny. <laughs> it's okay. This is hilarious. Hey, it all worked so, out. Yeah. I jumped in there in my jeans yep. because who cares? It was awesome. I will. I will say. You did even say earlier this week, hey, if I've got to get in there with my jeans on I and jump in there <laughs> and foreshadowing. Yeah. So. I mean, I I was cool with it, man. It was great. I love it. It was super fun. I love it. it was super Are we fun. laid back at Colonial Church or what? I'm telling you, I'm not man. Doing the, are you doing the baptism? I'm not doing the That's baptism. Right. I thought he was doing the baptism. Yes. <laughs> Cannonball! I forgot to run upstairs and grab the robe for you. Ella, my, my daughter, Ella, she goes, why are you in the big bathtub in your jeans, Dad? <laughs> oh, that's funny. And I was like, well, let's have that conversation. Let's have this theology <laughs> conversation. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so, yeah. so hey, it was, was a good fun. week. It was a good week. Yeah, so, we had hey, we had rooted celebration on Wednesday. That's right. Leading up to that was super fun to get all I'm of our so rooted groups. Sad together. I missed that. That's one of my favorite things we do. It here. was so much fun. Uh just yeah, just incredible stories coming out of there. Both groups are continuing. Um uh, gonna Home form run. their own form their own group outside of just doing the study. Super excited about that. My my rooted group is meeting again. Um, obviously not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. Um, gathering back up. We're just excited to to do that. So we had a great great time gathering in MR One and <clears throat> had some food. And I'm just gonna make the shout out. I, I got to Lauren was on on sabbatical and got to lead. I got to lead in uh, rooted. And, and kind of all that. But I just have to give a shout out to Emily and Rachel and Barbara and uh, Brooke. And, uh, you know, you guys, I, 
I was kind of up in the at the hospital with my wife Shelby. I had to go into the hospital that day. We weren't sure what was going to happen. We weren't sure what we were going to do. And you guys were scrambling, trying to go. Hey, let's just not have Tanner have to worry about stuff. <laughs> working behind the scenes. And I came in. I got to come in Wednesday night, thinking I'm going to have to set a room up. Thinking I'm going to have to get some things ready to go. And I walk in and. I think it. I, I'm not entirely sure who all had a hand in it. I think it was Rachel and Emily, but had the room set up, ready to go. Uh, Emily helped me get technology going. Rachel came back in and uh, ran slides for it. And Rachel had the food taken care of ahead of time. And we had another group bringing the food. And it just all went really smoothly, even with me being kind of you know in limbo with my wife. And not so. Thank you guys, y'all. You made the night happen, and I, you know, our rooted groups. There's no way that they would know the effort that you put into it. But thank you, um, because I got to just walk in and just be present with people I'll, and just lead us through some content, and it was awesome. I so, love it when uh, team rallies. Just yeah, to, it was cool. I, what I hear you saying, I was I was clueless and unplugged this past week, but what I hear you saying is life happened in the Hodges house. Yeah. Um, Thank God Shelby's doing okay now. And yeah, she's fine. She's back on my nerves again. But you got you got teammates. <laughs> I just thought that. You got teammates. You got friends that just rallied without even being asked to. Yes. So I love yeah, that. Just stepping up, that. asking all the, all the. And then got to go. That carried on into the weekend, you know. It was just really good. So um, I got a chance to talk and um, have a conversation on Sunday with people and baptize some people. It's just a good, you know. I, in spite of you know the things that were kind of happening, I, th- I think I kind of shared this. Um, I just think that the enemy is just not that creative. Um, we could have seen these attacks coming a mile away, but um, you know, it just refu- the refusal of everybody involved, my wife included, like just to who like okay, we got to go through this thing. Let's not get let it get us down. Let's not you know. Let it derail. We're just going to move forward. And um, it turned out, to, in my perspective, it turned out to just be a really awesome week and weekend. And, um, yeah, it was it was just good. So Sweet. Yeah. I like your uh, your your use of, of kind of. Kind of. That's my favorite. Because <laughs> it's, it's your, it's your like, uh, what, what's, the, what's the word? Um, it's your um. It's, your, it's, it's my your, um, It's yeah. your go-to. It's a verb, like, verbal kinda, pause. Yeah. Verbal pause, yeah, yeah. It's it, you know I, I was um, I was I was kind of at the hospital with my wife and oh yeah she, like she, wait were you there or she were you kind of had there? some stuff were going you kinda on or like were you actually yeah. <laughs> I was just I was just it's laughing I, I, that's funny I got to spend a little time with one of my one of my good friends in Denver this past week um, he's a pastor up there and uh, long story short is his little verbal pause which cracks me up is again so he'll be like you know. Well, I was, I was, you know, we were, we were driving down the road and, and again, the snow was falling and in my head, I'm like, that was the first time. Didn't know you the did. snow was falling. Yeah. I don't know what you're referring to, but he does it. He'll do it when he's teaching. He's like, yeah. you know, and so we all gotta, we've got to follow Jesus because again, he loves us. Yeah. And you're like, I know that, but you didn't say that yet. Yeah. Like, but it's, his, he says it all again, the time. Yeah. Mine's kind of, so it's just like, and you once know. you notice somebody's verbal pause, you shouldn't have pointed that out. Oh yeah. Tanner, now I'm going to just. Well, not only are you going to keep doing it, but all of us are going to hear nothing but kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of. I'm sorry. Okay, should I ask? Do I have right? Do I have a verbal pause? 
Guys um, that y'all know of? Yes. I got, uh, I, in the moment, not, as, as I was starting to say that, I was like... I'm not like, talking about what is, cliches what is I butchered. That's a whole other conversation. That's, that's well, that's like... <laughs> mixed metaphors. Like somewhere, somewhere in that's there... That's not a verbal boss. Somewhere in there is like the, the Bush-isms. You know, do you remember like President Strategery. Bush? Like, like he just like... Well, that's SNL. You're that's like SNL. just messing the whole thing up. <laughs> yeah. The whole like, like, that's not... I don't think that's that word. Like that's a word. Or I don't think fool me twice. Yeah. Shame on that's me right, yeah. and you. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, what? Wait, what? This went south. George W. is not here. Um, <laughs> I'm asking. In fact, just for fun, I'm asking listeners: Would you surprise us with an email? Podcast at colonialchurch.com. I want to hear. I'm inviting. You're I want to hear it, yeah. my verbal pauses, or even some quirk about me teaching that I say this or that a lot or um, do you want me I, to throw any of them out right now like uh at least one or two just for fun yeah um, the way you pronounce potentially oh is, gosh is not locale specific no and I and I'll tell you that wait, it wait, drives wait, me wait, nuts wait 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 say it Potentially? Poten- potentially. 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 Po- potentially. Potentially. There's a lot of emphasis on the O. Potentially. The long o. It should be puh. Potentially. I'm, I'm just saying that's not potentially. how. Potentially. not how most Have you heard anybody hear. else around here say potentially? <laughs> potentially, I have. <laughs> potentially. potentially. <laughs> as far as you know. <laughs> I don't even. I don't even hear it right now. It sounds right, fantastic. Right. So, so my uh, potentially. The other, the other one that's more the the other one for for me that's more of a verbal pause for you is. Uh, I think it's appropriate. Oh, um, yeah. Because it's the phrase, yeah. You think a lot of things are appropriate. Yeah. Um, I think it's appropriate. Where I, yeah. And I, I think, think it's, it's appropriate, appropriate if we pray right here. I think it's appropriate if before we do this, it's Dead like, do you know, and you know, I think it's appropriate. <laughs> I think you just kind of do it. Most people just say, let's pray. Well, well. again, well, again, I, I, <laughs> again, and again, kinda, and kind of, uh, <laughs> I think it's appropriate. Again, right. kind of. All right. Let me, let me bring us back here. Okay. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, it's not. But uh, I just got a text message from my son because um, we have we have all, like I love random it. old devices that are all set up for our kids, uh-huh. and they can't do anything because none of their friends have anything except they can text with their uh, uh-huh. with their with their Apple ID email or whatever. So I just got this text from my son. It's um, swords. These are not words. These are symbols, right? So swords emoji um, envelope a uh, speed square a sunglasses face a smiley face a robot a thumbs up a black woman <laughs> and i love you dad that's gold and i love mommy she is nice my favorite there you go so that's that's oh, awesome that's I don't, I don't know i have a strange inkling <laughs> you're gonna get 47 more texts there may be more coming through <laughs> fortunately it's on vibrate but uh, uh yeah so that's amazing well lauren uh let's actually bring it back a little bit here so um you've been gone for the past week um kind of doing this sabbatical thing that Again. you felt like was appropriate in the moment. Um, what can you tell us about your time away, your unpluggedness that we didn't talk about sports, you and I, we didn't text back and forth until literally last night. Um, you, you Which, had, we that, had some that's things gotta come be up difficult for you guys. I would say I like, know. that's gotta be hard. We for talk y'all. a lot of sports. It's, I mean, it's, I started maybe twitching. That's our verbal pause. started twitching. <laughs> I didn't miss you as much as I miss sports <laughs> with you, Brooke. That's right. Including when when OU and Baylor played, like what was it two weeks ago? Yeah, we watched the game together. We basically. watched the game together. <laughs> Why didn't in we different just, houses? We should have just driven over somewhere. <laughs> we literally texted the entire game. Well, you guys know the game was on at my house. You could have just come over to our house. And <laughs> <laughs> What's your question, Brooke? 
I want to know how was. <laughs> I already asked my question. You're just not no, listening. I'm, I'm kidding. I I have. You know what? I don't know how much interest there is uh, in their listeners about my week, but I not much. Probably I just not. Wanted to fill some probably space. Probably not. But in all seriousness, I get as a pastor at Colonial Church one of our. Um, benefits and it's oh that's putting it lightly one of our blessings to work here as pastors is we get a one week a year paid sabbatical and um it's not meant to be vacation it's not meant to be uh take your family and go see your parents and um like like thanksgiving will be for example it's meant to be a replenishment um, it's it's meant to put fuel in our tanks because our our role is to give ourselves away as leaders, and so um, much like the idea of Sabbath on a regular basis, uh, that's where the same root word uh, sabbatical is meant to be. Uh, in my mind, my understanding of it, oh, oh, in this case, a week of rest, of uh, delight. Uh, what are some things that bring life to us uh, of, of renewed dependence on God, worship? Um, and so I was, can I be honest, I was so proud I didn't take any work with me. Um, I did take my iPad, which in some ways is just taking your work with you because <laughs> you got access to everything. But in retrospect, I opened it out of my bag zero times. Um, I was really, because it's so tempting to plug back in uh, I brought several books. I only read one in its entirety, and I, I looked, I cracked a couple others, but they were just for my heart. They weren't, you know, preparation to preach or leadership books. Or um, I read one specific book called "The Rest of God." In fact, I'd love to put this in the show notes in case there's one or two people interested. It's called "The Rest of God" by Mark Buchanan. Uh, fantastic book. I bought new about 15, 16 years ago, read it then, but I hadn't, I hadn't read it since. And he just does such a good job of not just for pastors, but for all Christians calling us to just the biblical command of Sabbath. And, um, it's not a legalistic how to book. It's, it really gets to the heart of God's gift of Sabbath to us. Um, and it was just so good. It was so good. It was, uh, I, I read it very slowly. I highlighted a lot, journaled a few times about it. And just a lot of, of thought it stirred in me. So I got to go to Colorado, got to go to my old stomping grounds, generous friends of my family. Um, they're snowbirds. So they're in the middle of winter. They're down in Arizona. And so I, their house was empty and I got to be there. We had six inches of snow one night, beautiful, um, it was so cold. It was single digits one night. Most mm -hmm. nights it was like 30, but, uh, I just loved being out there. Um, got to go every day, four days in a row to my favorite little coffee shop in Estes park. It's called inkwell and brew and, uh, just sit and read. And, um, that may sound terribly undelightful if that's a word <laughs> to some people, it was incredibly, um, rich for me. Um, my wife, single mom did all week and allowed me to get away and our church, people like you, Tanner and Brooke and others just did, did some of the things I'm, I'm usually supposed to be doing. And I'm so grateful for that. So 
was a really good week. I I have come back, um, as as I as it's supposed to happen. I have come back just a little more fired up about leading and serving, and um, I think God's done some work on my heart to just remind me of what matters and center me. And uh, the the challenge for me coming back is I I really feel convicted to wrestle harder with Sabbath um, and what that can look like for my whole family. And um, I say that knowing pretty much nobody listening right now is practicing, practicing Sabbath. Not almost, almost none of my Christian friends practice Sabbath. And, uh, and yet I'm not even talking as a pastor. I'm talking about as a follower of Jesus. I just feel, I feel really convicted that we're missing it. We're missing a huge gift. I don't think we're doing it wrong. Shame on us. I think we're naively missing out on a huge gift that God has given to humanity. It's not a Jewish thing. Um, it's a, it's a thing for all of us. And so I'll stop there. If, if I'm doing it right, moving forward, I'm thinking about it. I'm work, I'm working through it in my household and, and then sharing that with our church, sharing that with my friends will come real naturally, you know? So it's a really good week. Thanks for allowing me to do that guys this past week. I'm grateful. Yeah. Well, it's good. It's good that, um, uh, I mean, it's good that you you trust the people around you enough to say, "All right, I know we have baptisms this week. I know we had rooted celebration this week. I know we have a message coming up this weekend, and all the things that you know we did turkey celebrate or the turkey distribution and turkey um, <laughs> turkey celebration. <laughs> turkey celebration. We celebrated the turkeys this week, and um, no, there was a bunch going on. You know, there's a lot going on, and and the fact that you could still say, you know what, I trust the people that are around me to mm. uh, to handle whatever needs to be handled, and I'm. I'm thrilled to hear you say that because my worst fear is that y'all and anybody else feels dumped on or like I don't care. Sure. I'll, well, I'll, this is this is the public facing thing. Though, so. <laughs> stop it! Stop it! I know you <laughs> meant that, but but tying it back to Sabbath, you, the heart of Sabbath is trust. Like mm-hmm. this is what I, I'm. I should have said that. This is what I I walk away from reading that book again and, and looking at scripture is the heart of Sabbath is that. Okay, I, I'm going to stop working, and I'm going to believe that God is still in control. In fact, one of the things Buchanan, the author in this book, said is that's really what going to sleep at night is. I mean, part of it's forced because your body just gives out, and you got to you got to find rest. But part of it is I'm going to go to sleep now, and trust that I don't have to work right now. the wor- The world's going to continue to rotate. <laughs> you know that God's still sovereign. We do it every night. The challenge is to do it when our body's not screaming for it like it does. If you, if you just stay up all night, your body screams for rest. But at some level, that even plays into, okay, if I just work my butt off and never take care of myself, my body's going to scream for rest. Sabbath is a, an intentional choice to say, I'm going to stop and trust that everything else is going to be okay. There's other people doing their jobs. There's God is still sovereign. So... Even to hear you say that, man, thanks for trusting us and others to do our work while you're gone. Part of that's just being centered in colonial church is not all about me, you know, mm-hmm. um, much as my ego would like to think otherwise, <laughs> you know. So maybe even somewhere in there, the the people who 
decided long before all three of us were here at Colonial that that's what pastors should be blessed with. Maybe there's some wisdom in there going, you know what? They need to be forced once a year to be gone for a week and realize the church keeps happening without them. Mm. Church is not just about our pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't thought about that till just now, but that's. Well, and just, just as you said, Tanner, you had, you had, you know, Rachel and Emily that stepped up and Barbara that stepped up in a big way to help you get stuff done while, while Shelby was, um, kind of dealing with some stuff. <laughs> um, you know, we had, we had deacons that stepped up all over the place to mm-hmm. get baptisms done. And, you know, you have a response team and, yep. um, you know, in so many ways, obviously that you filled in on the weekend, I say fill in, but, um, you know, you, you taught on the weekend Tanner and, and, um, you know, that, that's just a, it's a different role, but that required then you to let, um, you know, you have, you have Brody leading, leading songs and, yeah. um, you know, so you have a different, a different team leading worship and, you know, it, it has a, a cascading effect, mm-hmm. um, especially when it's, you know, when it's the higher up that, uh, yeah, sorry, I, yeah. I, I'd say it, um, you know, but when it's, when it's somebody that, that we, that does a lot, it then requires more people to step up into it. So, um, you know, so shout out to all of the, mm-hmm. you know, to the deacons that were up here, um, yep. on, what was it? I think, I think Thursday night, Thursday they came um, or something like that, Friday yeah. night, you know, what, getting the, getting the pool done and, um, or the hot tub, as Ella would say, mm-hmm. or the, the bath, bathtub, the bathtub, you know, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, so, so speaking of like Tanner, your message this weekend was super light and fluffy and oh, so it was yeah. a super easy one for you to just <laughs> kind of step in and be like, let's talk about rainbows and unicorns uh-huh. and, and, uh, and, and all those fun things. Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about depression. Yeah, it <laughs> was, uh, it was, it was, um, that was a hard, yeah, hard message, uh, to really, honestly, just to sit in, like, I've got a lot that we could say about it, a whole lot to discuss, but. Can I ask you this? What, what, uh, I know you both as a teammate and a friend, and I know, I, I'd like to say I know you really well now, and I know how typically willing you are to be vulnerable and, and real with people. Was this difficult on a stage in a teaching role? Um, some ways very comfortable for you, but also some new ground for you to cover and learning to, to, to preach and teach. But was it, was it how, how, how uncomfortable, if any, was it for you to, to share about your own battle with depression? Yeah. And, and say, I am taking medicine and right. things that a lot of people don't want to be open about right you're on stage with a spotlight and a microphone <laughs> how was yeah. that for you well i mean it's it was uh, um <clears throat> it's not difficult to be to be open for me uh, personally to be open and honest about that um i kind of just take the for for right or wrong like i take the stance of like i i got going on what i got going on and uh, you know people are either going to accept that or not and i can't really do anything about you know "Quote unquote acceptance from there, so I tend to just be maybe at times more vulnerable than I than the situation may call for or mm. whatever. So not really difficult. It was hard for me to um, it was hard for me to fit in all the level of detail of my story that 
leads to depression and all those things in such a short time. Sure. Um, and so I just kind of didn't, you know, like there's in any of what we said yesterday, like you wouldn't really know other than the one aspect of, Hey, you know, his mom died when he was young. Um, there's, I didn't really give any of my story. Um, I just tried to give a little context for, Hey, I, you know, I, I'm, I have, I am still, struggling through and battling through uh bouts of this and waves of it so the other aspect too that is i grew up in this area and so i have a lot of family here um and so you know when i divulge uh details of all those things yeah i'm impacting them as well and so you know that's that's why my dad mindful. might be hearing the message, my you know, and I don't want to project mm. and and I don't want to be misrepresented or misheard from people that I care about, you yeah. know, my family who are also impacted by some of this stuff. So I think the difficulty for me was less about being honest with uh, depression and and uh, you know, all that, and just trying to be thoughtful about you know how how much is appropriate to say. Um, how much detail is there that I can give in a public forum, you know, mm. um, only because it honors people, not because I'm not willing to sit to share. Um, it honors those other people who are involved. It honors my family for me to not mm. go into incredible detail in that setting. Sure. But I'm open for sure. Anybody wants to have a conversation, you know, definitely open for that. Um, well, one of my, I wasn't there obviously. And, and full disclosure, you already know this. We talked offline about how I haven't, seen the video of yesterday yet um looking forward to watching it but i you know i had your manuscript mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. you even taught so i was excited i know what you shared um i i loved early on how you you boldly said that the church should be the safest place to talk about um look at my notes here feelings of darkness and depression it should be the safest place to be real to be and I just, I believe that with all my heart. I love that you believe that. Um, I, I just am more and more convicted. Maybe that's one of the, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to hope this is unique to colonial because I want every church to be mm-hmm. tr- that true for, but all, all we can at some small level control, <laughs> we don't really control, but we can fight for that kind yeah. of culture here at colonial mm-hmm. i want that so bad yeah i want that so bad i want that more than most things right more than more than us having you know all our stuff together <laughs> i want a culture where people even if it's slow to recognize because they're they're holding back they come in with their own junk they come in with this their assumptions man you stick around here long enough you're gonna find that it is normal for the majority of people to take those masks off and chuck right. them, you right. know, and, and say, Bleh, you yeah. know, um, and trust that this whole idea of it's a hospital for sinners, um, mm. is, is colonial, you right. know? So I, at some small level, I really love that you not only said that statement, but then you modeled it with being real, you yeah. know? Yeah. I think, I think I, you know, early on, I, I you know I mentioned at the very beginning of what I was talking about yesterday was, I grew up in church. Uh, my family was involved in this small little community church, and when I say small, I mean like, you know, at our peak, we're 40, 50 people. 
um, in this small little bitty Methodist church. So, um, but I, what I experienced there, amazing people. I, I, I have to say this, I, I, really amazing people um, in that church. Some of my, some of my mentors, people that I respect. Um, I got to experience that, but all at the same time, uh, my experience with losing my mom made it to where it being in that group of people being in like, this is what church is. This is what following Jesus is. I felt like I had to be okay. Mm. I, I felt, um, one of the things that I fight for now, uh, especially with people who lose someone that they love, is I fight pretty hard for be sad. Do not skip over being sad. Mm. Because when I lost my mom, I immediately went. To, I was sad, but I was only sad in my alone time. I never let people see how I was sad. I fooled my dad into thinking I was handling this well. Because you thought that's what everybody wanted. I thought everybody needed me to just be okay. And so I was okay. Does it it bother you especially? It bothers me a little, and I haven't gone through what you have. Does it bother you especially to be at a funeral where I feel like more and more people are saying, hey, this is a celebration of life. This is, this is, they may not say the words, but sometimes they even say the words, Hey, we're not going to be sad here. You know, we're just going to celebrate and remember the good times and tell stories and laugh. And, and I know where that comes from. It's coping. Yeah. It's just, I don't believe it's necessarily healthy coping, you know? Yeah. Cause some of us in the room are really angry. Some of us in the room are incredibly sad. Yeah. Some of us are confused. Some of us are numb and shell shocked and won't even remember this anyway. And then some of us just want to celebrate because yeah. we're in a different place. Yeah, I think I does think that you know bother you. I, it does. It does bother me a, a little bit in that, um, like I would say this, I would pull a family aside, and I would try to have a conversation with the family and say, we don't need to, we don't need to skip past you. You take it from me. You know, to whatever degree you want to give me influence in your life or be able to speak into this moment, like I think it's I think it's like twofold, right? Like I think sometimes you have pastors who are giving, uh, they're they're helping with a funeral and they want to give the family what the family wants because it's honoring the family, mm. right? Because the funeral, let's be honest, the funeral is not about the person; the funeral is about the family. Sure. Um, and so there is sometimes that tension, and it sometimes feels like. People just don't, they don't want to feel that pain. Mm. And they also, and, and a funeral in itself is painful enough. So if you compound on it, you know, or you even like, it's a, that's still a public forum, you know? So I, I don't know that funerals need to take the shape of like, let's just be really sad. Um, but I would for sure pull family members aside and even in the family context, and say, look, you, we're, we're going to say celebrate. We're going to say, you know, laugh. We're going to say all these things. But you need you need to be able to be sad. And you don't and you don't nobody gets to tell you how long that period of sadness needs to go. Mm. You need to be sad and you need to feel don't don't run away from that feeling of sadness. That's been my experience. I, you know, 
years later, my grandma passed away, who became like my second mom. I, I illustrated everybody, you know, our family was really close. Um, my dad, <clears throat> my dad moved, moved out of our house when I was really young. And I ended up later, uh, moving in with my grandparents. Um, and you know, I, I don't want to say too much about that specifically because I have worked really hard to patch up relationships with my dad and, and all those things. And I don't want to undermine any of that stuff. I'm happy to share personally with people. Um, but she really filled that role. My grandmother really filled that role for me. And when she passed away, um, she passed away. Oh gosh. I don't, uh, maybe 20, I can't remember now, uh, 2017, 2018, somewhere around there. Um, she had lung cancer, ended up passing away. It was a very, it was really rough, painful time. I, we had the funeral in the same place that we had my mom's funeral. It was in my old, um, elementary school gymnasium. That's where we, you know, had the funeral for my mom and all I, I remember being in the, in the moment. I remember I'm not attending a funeral thinking to myself, I'm not attending a funeral for my grandmother. I'm, I found myself crying, like sobbing. And it's like, I'm yes, I, to a degree I am crying for my grandmother. Like I loved her dearly and she, but I realized I never dealt with my mom. I never dealt with the pain of losing my mom. Mm. And so I found myself crying, but I'm crying because I'm missing my mom. I'm crying because I feel like I'm at my mother's funeral, you know, and not even the physical space represented that a little bit, but really it was, this was dredging up pain I never dealt with. And so I had just learned like, don't, if you don't allow yourself to feel that, well, then you're going to be fine. But it put anger in my life. It put, uh, there were things that were off limits to talk about with me and my spouse, like, uh, it put a, it drove a wedge. Like I, there are certain areas, um, certain areas where I would overreact to like the, the level of importance I would place on, I don't know, something my family would say, or, um, going and being with my family or being in that specific space or doing something with my kids. I would put a level of importance on that. That was tied to what I had missed out on that my wife wouldn't understand. Shelby would not understand why I was being so, you know, irate about this specific thing or whatever. And I had to recognize, oh, there was like resentment and anger that was coming up. And it was all because of this depression that I had sunk in, sunken into. And I wasn't communicating those things. She had no, no way of knowing. It affected what I was doing with my kids. I was trying to manage my children in some different areas. Um, so there's just a whole lot that was compounding on some of those things. Um, so yeah, I, I just think when it comes to, when it comes to experiencing loss, um, I think if someone had pulled me aside then and not just told me, Hey, it's okay to be sad, but really showed me that like, it's okay to be sad. I'm going to be there with you when you're sad. I'm going to be sad with you maybe in times. I could have dealt with the pain and those things. Maybe, you know, I'll mm -hmm. say maybe, maybe in a way that if not totally like uh, took away the depression I was going to later feel, definitely minimized it. Um, 
to where it mitigated how much of that I was going to experience later on in life. Um, I just want to give permission. I I just, I just, I want to give permission for people to be sad and I want to be sad with them. And that's, that's like, that's hard (laughs) because I'm a feeler. I take it all on to myself as well. But like, I think one of the greatest gifts we can give to people is pre- is, is is being present, not trying to fix things. Mm. And I experienced. I even said this in the message. I experienced, you know, people trying to say the right thing. They tried. They tried really hard, sure. but they ended up saying the wrong thing. You know, like they were trying to help. They were trying to be there for me. They were trying to do the right thing, but they ended up saying the wrong thing. Um, you know, even from like, oh, I just I love how well you're handling this. I'm like they have no idea, you know. Mm. So well, just just to affirm you in your heart for our people and for others. Um, I heard RJ spoiler alert for the interview coming up and later in our podcast episode today. I heard him link depression uh, in so many ways to grief and loss. It's not exactly the same thing, right. but. Um, he just talked about how one of the best things we, the rest of us, so to speak, can do for the people we love who battle depression is much like the best thing we can do for the people we love who are experiencing loss is just presence. It's, you can't say the right word to fix things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just validating that they're hurting and it's just shutting up and being with them. Right. And um, he said, oh, I'm not going to quote him right. you got to listen to the, ep- the, the interview. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm biased. I just think it's, it's got several really good things from the Lord. But he said um, that forgiveness comes from God, uh, but healing comes from community. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. those are not mutually exclusive. We still need to experience forgiveness with each other. We still get supernaturally healed by the Lord. But um, he quoted James 5, I don't have it in front of me, where you know James says, confess your sins to each other. Uh, pray with and for each other. And he says, not so you will be forgiven, but so you, the scripture says, so you will be healed. Mm-hmm. It's about healing. It's not about forgiveness. And so there's something about that that is tied to grief and loss. He even, he even quoted uh, Larry Crabb, who passed away, I think just a couple years ago, but um, a longtime expert in psychology, uh, Christian writer, and he, he links depression to, it's a different kind of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, it's grieving what you, you, you expected to happen or what you wish had ha- was, was happening for you. It's this constant weight. And even as I say it, I'm not doing it justice, but, um, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, like that's once you get to like, again, there's these causes, there's all these causes that, uh, could, can happen, could have happened that brings you to a place of depression. But once you're in depression, there's really no comparison. Like how you get there is one, one thing, but, what is happening when you are there is totally different. Like uh, I almost included this quote from JK Rowling in kind of the conversation yesterday, but I didn't say it, but the great, the great author, the great author, JK Rowling. Uh huh. Um, she write the Hobbit. What was that? She, yeah. Good grief. Come on. Star Wars, right? Star oh, Wars. Yeah. Star Sorry. Wars. Star Wars. Star, Wars. Oh, Star, Trek, Star Wars. There's so many people game. throwing darts at y'all right now. Um, <laughs> but she experienced, uh, 
pretty heavy depression. Um, and she, uh, there's like this, uh, I actually shared this on my social media, uh, I think maybe in the last week or something, like she kind of spelled out a little bit of her journey with depression and how she got there and some of the root causes for her as well. But there's this one quote that she, that, that I almost shared. Um, and it says, it's so difficult to describe depression to someone who's never been there because it's not sadness. I know sadness. Sadness is to cry and to feel. Depression is that cold absence of feeling, that really hollowed out feeling. And so I'd say, Ooh. like, once I got to a place of depression, I couldn't articulate anything, mm. had no desire to articulate anything, had no desire to do anything. I found myself sitting and just staring, and I didn't know what was going on. Mm. Because I couldn't say I was sad, because I wasn't sad in the moment. I couldn't say I was anxious because I didn't really have anything to be anxious about. I couldn't, like, I couldn't, I wasn't scared of something because I didn't have anything really to be scared of. I just was still and immobilized and demotivated. And I just didn't know how to, I didn't know how to articulate those things. Now, at the peak of some of that stuff for me, actually, I don't think it was the peak of depression. I would say, I would say, again, I would, I want to articulate. It's a complex issue. It's not the same for everybody. The way it happens, the way, the decisions you make out of it, all those things, it's all different. But I remember, I, I don't know that it was the peak of my depression because I think once you get to such a severe level of depression, um, you're not capable of taking action. So. I remember being almost 17, 16, 17, driving down the road, and I decided that I didn't want to be here anymore. And I floored my truck, put it in, uh, I put the cruise control on as fast as it would go, laid my seat all the way back and just let go and whatever was going to happen was going to happen. And I remember going off of this, like, um, there's an, there's like a really big turn, um, just outside of Burke Burnett, Texas. And I remember going off the side, the truck, I guess, came out of cruise, cruise control, came to a stop in the ditch. And I thought, what did I just do? Like, it scared me because I, I, like in my head, I knew I'm going to have a wreck. And at worst, I'm not, at worst, I'm not going to be here anymore. Um, at best, I'm going to have a pretty severe wreck and something's going to ha- I, I deserve, I, I deserve something bad to happen to me so that I could articulate why I feel the way I feel. Mm-hmm. I was fine. Truck was fine. Totally fine. I can't explain it. I called my dad. My dad said, well, I'll meet you at the doctor's office. You need to call the doctor. And so I drove to this, like, Texoma Christian Family Clinic in Burt Burnett, um, Dr. Jonathan Williams, I can say. And he talked to me, and he goes, you're, you're, you've, got a, you've got a chemical imbalance in it that's happening in your brain, and I will show you. Kind of, He drew this diagram for me, and I was understanding. 
you're at the point where you've taken some action on some stuff, on some thoughts that you've had. And I want you to be careful because when I start giving you medication, it's going to, it's going to give you even more motivation to act on thoughts until you get to where you're not having those thoughts again. So I remember going through that whole thing. So I say all this to say, uh, not really even in the peak of depression, because in the peak of my depression, I was incapable of acting on thoughts that I would have or issues that I was facing. Um, when you take medication, especially in that point, you get to a point where you do have a little motivation. You can plan some things out. You can. There's warning signs. There's a reason why when you have some thoughts that creep up into your mind, you need to, you need to talk to some people. Because at that point, you're in your darkest level of thoughts, and you still have enough energy to be motivated by taking action. Part of the reason I included in what our conversation on the weekend was we're not going to make permanent decisions or, or draw permanent conclusions based on temporary emotions. Mm. It's because I can now stand on the other side of it knowing I was trying to make a permanent act, take a permanent action, and even draw permanent conclusions about myself and everybody else around me based on how I was feeling. Which was temporary. Which was temporary. Mm. And so I, that's why I think it, the warning for us really is we have got to create, we, I, I firmly believe this, and I'm not, again, I'm not an expert in it. I'm not, I just know what would have helped me now. I, I can see some things that would have helped me. Um, we've got to create an environment where people can be sad and know that people can come alongside them and just be present and not try to fix and not try to, motivate but all at the same time if you're someone who's experiencing sadness if you're someone who's experiencing uh maybe in this depression you need to take action and talk to counselor take medication get in the community open up and have the conversation mm. because the reason i was wanting to take action in, in the ways that i was is because i wasn't talking to anybody about it i didn't feel like i could um, why? Because every time I saw them, man, I'm just so proud of how you're handling this, of, you know, you're doing so well, your mom would be so proud. And I thought to admit something was up would have been to admit, well, maybe mom wouldn't be proud of me or, or my family wouldn't be accepting or whatever. Not my family's fault. I'll say that I, you know, I went through that whole bout of yeah, my family should have blah, 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 blah. But they didn't know what they didn't know, you know. Um, so I think that's why it's, it, this is a big deal to me. Um, yeah. So we have um, obviously the interview. I think there's a ton that we could dive into mm -hmm. with your with your message, and we could continue this conversation for forever. I want to interrupt you for a moment um, and say if if you feel that way, if you are thinking thoughts like that. Um, you can dial 988. It's the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. They are there 24-7. 988. 988. I, was so not, I did not know that. It's not 911. It's 988. And and you can talk to somebody. Mm. Um, obviously, we've talked about our mental health page, colonialchurch.com slash mental health, where we have these... these um, all of our all of our uh, messages have been posted there. Our podcasts are posted there. Uh, list of counselors is there, yep, yep. Um, and and just a link that says, "Hey, you know, contact us." But the the point is, like, you have to talk to somebody. As you said, um, 
if you had the community or whatever uh, around you and the ability to have these kinds of conversations that maybe this turns out a little bit different mm-hmm. um, or, or maybe shorter lived or, right. or, or whatever. So um, to, to wrap us up, um, you talked about the ways that obviously you, you felt like making that decision because you were in your own depression mm-hmm. and nobody else was included. You talked about um, mourning your mom at your grandma's funeral and seeing later on the links of that you were actually mourning your mom, not, you know, not necessarily that you weren't mourning your grandma, right. but, um, but that all stemmed back there, that, that arguments that you and you and Shelby had, that, uh-huh. that fights, that, 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 that the wedge you talked about um, between you. So um, to, to just put a, 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 a little bit of finality on the story here, what was it that, um, or what things, what what actions, what whatever that list of things is. Yeah. Um, what was it that helped you come out of that to understand what you were going through, um, to um, to 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 become healthier on the other side, to grow from this, to get to a place where you can stand up in front of um, hundreds of people and say, "This is something that I've dealt with." Like, yeah. So so what what was it that that helped you get beyond it? Yeah. Well, I would say first, I I. Um, I had sort of <clears throat> nonchalantly developed the kind of community I wish I had had. So it definitely helps me understand why you're so driven to experience community and provide community for people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I I'm in a position, I'm in a place now where, you know, I talked about it on the weekend. I have people of peace. That's what we Shelby and I kind of call it. Uh, I don't know. That's the correct way, but like just people we feel confident in being open and honest with. It's not our honesty is not going to be manipulated or taken the wrong way, or it's just going to be seen for what it is. I'm trying to offload, and please don't, <laughs> you know, decide who I am based off of my honesty right now. You know, um, I had that kind of community, and so when I when my grandmother passed. Uh, I was face to face again with uh, my uh, paralysis, I guess. Uh, I and then I had, um, you know, my daughter uh, was uh, three, two, almost three at the time, and you know, she was asking questions that I didn't think she would have been told by anyone to ask. Like she was just asking questions about my mom and, uh, she started saying grandma Terry. And I'm like, how did you hear that? I've not talked to you about this. It was too painful for me to talk to her about that. You know, and she's three. How was she going to understand? You know? So she's offering up some of these things. I was face to face with like, I can't afford to go down this hole. I have a family that depends on me. I have a job that I love. Um, so I would say that I found myself in a place where I could be honest. And guess what happened when I was honest with where I was at? I had people respond appropriately to me and share their story and share their experience. And I, I said, I said in the, in the conversation yesterday, I need people around me who are capable of loving me when I can't love myself. 
And they did that for me. You know, they affirmed things in me that weren't superficial. You know, oh, you're handling this so well. You know, I love the smile on your face. Like, it wasn't that. It's, no, 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 you're, you're a good dad. And, and, yeah, that's painful, but you need to handle that pain. You need to deal with some of those things. I just had recognized, um, I was just hit with, I, I, I need to be sad. I need to allow myself to be sad. I tried to communicate. I had, you know, leadership. In leadership, you have to figure out how to communicate. And so I tried to lock, lock into some tools that I had been given to be able to have conversations of communication with my wife. Hey, here's where I'm at. This is what I'm feeling. This is I feel myself sinking into a really deep depression. And so because I was able to share that with her, she gave me a space that I needed and love and care that I needed to be able to be sad for however long I needed to be sad. I think if you asked her, she would still say, I'm not out of it. Um, and that's part of me being honest was, hey, I'm st- I still battle with this because it doesn't take a very small amount of a weight to be thrown on me before I find myself uh, having to preach to myself and having to do those things that I was talking about. Um, uh, so I still have shared even in our rooted group and I, I need joy. I, I'm, I'm on this journey right now of pursuing joy. Um, and I don't mean superficially. I don't mean doing the activities that are fun to do. I don't mean hanging out on weekends or anything. I, I'm trying to find, this internal peace. That's why that uh, Spurgeon quote really resonates with me. And um, I just think I have the right environment now. Um, and it came from actively pursuing people who, like we have to, you have to, sometimes you have to create the environment you want. And the only way you're going to do that is by being vulnerable and being real with people and being open to that, being hospitable. Um, the greatest gift to Shelby and I's life and our ministry has been the ability to invite people into our home and to have meals together and to have our kids playing together. And um, when we did that and we were honest about it and about where we were, you know, for better or for worse, Shelby and I don't really hide our arguments in front of people. Like, uh, I just, I don't want people to see strictly the, you know, quote unquote, Instagram real life of Shelby and, and Tanner Hodges. I want people to see the real life of Shelby and Tanner Hodges um, because then they can challenge us in the ways we need to be challenged and encourage us in ways we need to be encouraged. So that's what has started to pull me out of it. Uh, I still battle with that. Obviously, there's a lot of purpose that I'm pursuing, God, you know, God-given purpose, which which fills that as well. Um I'm actively patching up relationships with my dad and we have conversations, you know, not as much as maybe we would like to have. Um, but we're honest with one another about where we were in those moments and in those times. And it's been encouraging. Um, so I think, you know, that's, that's kind of where that's kind of where I'm on medication. That's a big one. You kidding? Like a big one has been, and it's taken some time to find the right kind of medication to be on. Um, I'm taking uh, Zoloft right now, and it is, seems to be the one that's working the most. I've done Lexabro, I've done Cymbalta, I've done some other ones. Um, and this one seems to be exactly what I need. And to just give me that extra, like, oh, no, 
the sun's shining, dude. Like, you know, don't cast your own cloud. The sun's shining, and it's shifting perspective, mm. and then it's reminding myself of some things. So mm. that's what's been helpful for me. I, I really re- respect and appreciate you being so real, Tanner. I'm not just saying that tritely. I really am not. I, I think there's a chunk of people, for example, taking some hardcore meds that are like, wow, one of my pastors is taking some hardcore meds. Wait, one of my pastors is, I struggle with this. And whether it's biological or as you talked about yesterday, relational, circumstantial, um, I can't imagine it not at some level even being spiritual for you. I think, I think the enemy comes after, you know, us when we're trying to be faithful, we're trying to lead. Yeah. So I, um, I just appreciate that, man. Can I maybe um, land the plane, Brooke, on a lighter note um, for a lot of us? One of the things you said yesterday that really resonates with me, I don't feel like I am one of those that battles depression. And yet, probably like tons and tons of people out there, I I just have bad days. I have have moments where I get discouraged. Um, I even have seasons where I just really felt like circumstantially they were so much harder and I wallowed in some self-pity or some frustration. Or, And one of the things you said in your teaching that really speaks to me in my daily life is one of the last points you made is that our posture reflects our mood, but it can also impact our mood. And I find that to be true in my life. Um, to me, Sunday morning gatherings, sometimes I, I walk in with a certain mood, um, pastor or not, (laughs) I walk in with a certain discouragement level or, um, frustration level, uh, and going through the motion, so to speak, it sounds awful, but going through the motion of praying, Mm -hmm. going through the motion of reading the scripture, going through the motion of singing for sure for me Mm -hmm. um it completely changes my 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 attitude so it's it's an example of yeah sometimes our posture is like looking in the mirror it's 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 what we're already feeling but sometimes by taking the posture of surrender taking the even holding my hands out palms up sometimes i just do that because that's what we do it's our mm-hmm. recentering prayer, mm-hmm. and yet I find it, I find it changing my attitude. Oh, I, you know what? Yes, I I, f- I forgot it's all yours. You know. Yeah. And there's something about that that relates to even my mild depression, if I can call it that, is repeatedly taking the posture of surrender and trust and gratitude. It changes me from the inside out. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. This is a total leap, but it's one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. And you're going to have to make the leap with me, um, anybody listening. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, he's talking about practicing something with our posture that turns into a heart change. He says this, he says, the worldly man treats certain people kindly because he likes them. The Christian, trying to treat everyone kindly, finds him liking more and more people as he goes on, including people he could not even have imagined himself liking at the beginning. That's a, that's a deep thought, and it doesn't sound related to depression, but it, it's directly related to the Christian takes the posture 
of liking someone because we know we're, to, we're, we're called to love. So we, we choose to, to love people we don't really like. And what I hear Lewis reminding us is, and then we kind of look back later going, oh, I, re- I, I really fell in like with them. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just proof that we hate going through the motions, and yet there's something very therapeutic about, about practicing some things because our po- it, our posture changes us. I just I just really that's one thing you said that maybe wasn't a, a main point, but it really spoke to me yesterday. Yeah, and I think uh, you know I, I don't want to keep belaboring this. I know we need to, I want to get to this uh, interview, but I want to say this to to maybe help make that uh, make that leap there, bridge the gap between those two things. Um, if you find yourself in this state of um, pair. Paralysis uh, in your depression, you're not going to naturally feel. You're not going to feel like doing anything. Mm-hmm. You have to make the, the choice. It is a choice. The choice to like someone because that's what Christ calls us to do is the same thing. The choice to take action in the middle of our depression. My wife has been a gift in that with me. Hey, let's go take a walk. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't feel like taking a walk. I don't care. Get out of bed. Take a shower. Let's go take a walk. You know. Sometimes you have to choose to do what you know is correct so that you can see a mm. uh, change happen. So, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Um, I, you know, you've been open and honest with us as staff and you and I've worked together for, you know, it feels like decades sometimes, but <laughs> yeah, a long time. Since you, know, you were so, four. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Um, so thank you for sharing, um, again, in a, in, in still a public forum, a still a, 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 um, a way to, um, that other people will hear this and, and even at the risk of, um, you know, family misunderstanding. So hopefully anybody will give you grace, um, in that, but, uh, we, we appreciate, you know, your story and, and, um, and how you handled it and how you're continuing to, to grow and learn. So, um, and we do have a podcast so or an, an, an interview to get to. Uh, so I know this went a little bit longer today. So for those of you that, that this is impactful, um, there's a reason why we don't just cut ourselves off at a certain time because sometimes it's more important to finish the thoughts than to, um, uh, than to just get to something else. So um, we are going to get to our interview with that Lauren had, uh, that Lauren did with RJ who has um, experience in this, who has expertise in this, who has, um, a wealth of knowledge that uh, um, that that we like to um, to rely on in in multiple um, occasions. This is probably at least the third time, if not if not more. I want to say yeah, fourth or fifth. He's, that, he's that been he's, a blessing. That we've had him on here. So um, so yeah, we'll we'll get to that. So thank you for listening. This has been the E6 podcast from Colonial Church. You can always get more information about Colonial at colonialchurch.com or the App Store, the Google Play Store. Um, If any of this is impactful to you um, or you realize, you know what, maybe I should go check out that page. Go to colonialchurch.com slash mental health. Go watch some of those messages if you haven't. You can listen to the podcast. You can get in touch with somebody, um, find a counselor, do whatever you need to do. If you are feeling in the depths of your depression right now and um, you're feeling like taking action, dial 988 and call somebody and talk to somebody. so all, all of those things are good. We, we appreciate you guys listening, and um, we're going to pick up our conversation again next week as we continue our mental health conversation. But for now, let's get to our interview with RJ. Well, hey, RJ, thanks so much 
for uh, joining me for another conversation. You have blessed Colonial multiple times over the years, man. You've uh, you've become. I, I refer to you so uh, glowingly. You're kind of a legend down here, you know. <laughs> well, no thank, you, thank you for that thought, Lauren. I think probably we should close in prayer then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we already prayed for some good things uh, to happen here. Okay. So. <laughs> well, we'll trust the Holy Spirit for that. Man, I wonder how many people can even uh, remember to a little over four years ago when I first got here. Um, I got here in July of 18. I think I brought you down in September of 18 uh, to teach and um, share your story. And um, I know we've got a bunch of people that, that loved being present for that. And um, anyway, thanks again for speaking into our peace of mind teaching series. Uh, Very, very much on purpose. I have looked forward to this conversation with you because I know you have things to say with your experience. Can we start before I even dive in with some, some questions I want to, I want to ask you, can you tell us um, with, with no fear of us taking it the wrong way of you bragging or anything like that? Tell us about your experience and your training in the area of mental health. Where are you coming from for people that don't know you or your background, RJ? Sure. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that, you know, and in, uh, in looking forward to this interview. And I, I, this, this is even scary to say, but my experience in the field goes back to the 1970s when I was cutting my teeth as a, an associate pastor uh, at, a, at a church. And, the, the, and I love that church. Uh, they did so much for me in preparing me for the ministry. But one area that I had a pretty sharp disagreement with the pastor on is that his view of problems was either a sin or b demon possession which is uh, a scary route to go and um, I, I really kind of backdoored into helping folks in that context because they would go see the lead pastor and he would either tell them to stop it or there would be a demon to deal with and then three days later ish I might get a phone call from someone who had, you know, been through that process and it didn't seem to help. So, you know, I had my undergraduate degree already in psychology. So that really started me down the road of maybe we need to look at at mental health issues from a broader perspective. Maybe there's more than sin. Maybe it's not demon oppression. Maybe there's some, some issues here. And so that really started me on that road, a road that continues to this day. Um, I went on and got my master's degree, started a private counseling practice in the mid 80s and um, have continued to do that uh, up to this day. Uh, so um, yeah, I, I've got a few years of experience under my belt with respect to uh, mental health issues. Yeah. Well, I, I know you've, you've practiced as a therapist, uh, as a counselor to many, Um, I know you are a reader, you're a learner. Um, you're also, how do, how do I put this RJ? You're also, uh, fairly far down the road. Can I say it that way? You can say it that way. (laughs) Yes, you can. (laughs) I've come to, I've come to a place of acceptance that I'm 70 years old, Lauren. You're 70. Yes, that's right. Well, for all of you who have any temptation to, uh, to think, that he is uh, physically um, on his last legs, so to speak. This guy could probably run a marathon uh, tomorrow. I know that's a little bit of exaggeration because you haven't been training lately. But um, 
you are continuing to be in, in denial, I think, physically of your age. I love, I love that about you. I love that about you, RJ. You're active, man. Try to um, be. Well, well, let me ask you, um, let me ask you a few questions for our listeners today. Uh, what are, let me start broadly. You, you kind of touched on, on just wanting to learn more and, and, and pretty sure that your, your pastor you're working with back in the seventies, uh, had a very, very limited, if not completely skewed understanding of mental health. What are, what is your perspective on mental health? When it comes to the church and and the way Christians see mental health, um, my I mean, full disclosure, I, I just don't think we talk about it in the local church, in the Christian church. What's your perspective on that? Because you're you love the church, you're in the church, you've pastored, but you also have mental health training and understanding. What where have you seen those two things come together over the last, not just in the '70s, but in the last decade or two? What, what's your observations on that, RJ? Um, you know, I think putting it generally, uh, I think we've come a long ways in the church, um, both recognizing the importance of sound mental health, and I would add the word emotional, mental and emotional health, uh, and even, okay. spirit, even spiritual health, uh, I would throw, because they're all connected. But, I, I, you know, I see, I see huge growth in the church in general, not just here in the United States, uh, all, but all over the world, in some places, mm. in some places uh, stronger than others. Um, but um, yeah, we're recognizing, we've been, we're now recognizing the elephant that's been in the room for forever. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm encouraged by it because it, it, it's telling us, it's giving us permission now, I think, when series are, are done, uh, for example, Tanner's sermon on, on depression yesterday and other, other topics related to mental health, it, it, it normalizes it and it gives us permission to come out of hiding. So many of us for so long have, um, have been hauling around this cart behind us that's, you know, brokenness and, and emotional baggage that we've hauled around for some of us for mm. decades. And mm. now that we're starting to, you know, talk about it in the church, it's, it's giving us permission. The problem with that is that the, uh, the growth is really, really slow. I think for one reason, and that's because of pride. We just don't want to admit that we're struggling. We, mm. we would, and, and we would prefer just a real easy answer. Some of us like the uh, the, what I call the linear approach to problems, you know, that says, okay, if you do this, if you do these three things, you'll be fine. Mm. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a slow go in the church, but it's, it's happening. And for that, I'm, I'm thrilled that there's a, a, a big church here, uh, that ha has on its website, a whole list of, of, uh, resources to help with Christian therapists and their specialties. And I love that because it's yeah. telling people it, there's hope and it's okay for you to start being honest because ultimately right. that's what it comes down to. I need to be honest about what's going on. Mm. You know, you touched on two things there. One is our pride, our, you know, it's just pervasive that we don't want to, we don't want to admit our, our weaknesses or our doubts or our struggles or even, um, you know, we, we want to, but it's not welcomed or it's not, it's not normalized enough for us to feel like we can. The other side of that, um, 
that you just touched on that I hadn't really hadn't really put words to lately, RJ, is, you know, I, I just think so many of us in the church, so many Christians, we want the, okay, three steps I take to happiness, you know, give me, give me two things to do, five things to do, and then cause and effect, and then everything's going to be great. And, and yet mental health in general doesn't allow for that oversimplicity, oversimplistic approach. It's, it's about processing hard things. It's about wading through the mess that we are, um, which to me is just life. But the church doesn't always allow for that that mess, you know, that that complexity. Is it, would you would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And uh, along with that linear approach, I think where we hope that it will end is we can be we can have victory. We can be done with something. Yeah. And um, I think sometimes um, I, I think sometimes God prefers that we be dependent rather than victorious. Um, I think uh, Paul talks about this in Second Corinthians 12. You know, he prayed three times that God would remove the thorn of his flesh mm -hmm. in his flesh. And, and God said, nope, I'm not going to do it. My grace is sufficient for you. So um, I, I think God would prefer is victory an outcome of that? Of course it is. You know, I've been victorious over my addiction to alcohol for 16 plus years. Yeah. But that that has happened because God has given done something for me that I cannot do for myself, and I recognize daily that I've got to depend on on Him to uh, to give to to keep me sober today. Mm. Especially, you know, during during this holiday season, you know, Thanksgiving through New Year's is, is always a challenge for us. Yeah. My goodness, that's that is a sermon right there, RJ. God, God wants our dependency more than he wants our victory. And, and like you said, sometimes those things come come often. I should say they come together. But man, that's that's a good word. That's a good word. Well, let's let's continue your thinking there, RJ. Um one of the things I, one of the reasons I'm just eager to talk to you about all this is you not only have studied psychology and practiced counseling, but you love the Bible. You, you are a student of scripture. Um, I'm not blowing smoke or, or kissing up when I say, I know, you know, five times more about the Bible than I do. Um, and I'd like to think I'm a student of scripture. I just, I have a lot of respect for you and your knowledge of scripture. What, what does scripture say to this? This You mentioned 2 Corinthians 12. I think that's a great place to go in understanding Paul's struggles, um, even though we don't know specifically what those were. Um, but what, what, where else can we go in scripture uh, or what comes to mind for you from the Bible when we, when we look at just God's desire for us to be whole and, and live this life to the full? which to me blatantly includes our, our mental and emotional health. What, what do you have? What are your thoughts on that, RJ? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I've been looking at that and that's probably the, of the questions you gave me, that was, that one's probably prompted the, the greatest level of, of thought for me because uh, I wonder, you know, when we ask that question, are we asking it through the lens of scripture or are we asking that through the lens of modern psychology? Right. And so, you know, that comes down to, you know, defining terms here. What does it mean to be whole? What does that mm -hmm. look like on this side of heaven? 
Uh, I've said this in many contexts. Sometimes uh, therapists promise more than they can deliver, because um, you know, as long as I'm as long as I live in this unredeemed body, I'm going to have challenges, mm-hmm. and I've got memories to deal with. I've got some wounds, some wounds. I've got some scars that I have to deal with. So, so you know, on this side of heaven, what can I expect? Right. And uh, I, I think that's a fair question. But that being said, let me set that piece aside. Um, you know, I think Scripture has a lot to say, and it's it's mostly just embedded in the narrative of the human story that's just, you know, starts all the way back at, at the book of Genesis. You know, I think about, you know, the challenge that uh, that God had with, uh, with Cain and Abel in chapter 4 of Genesis even, you know. Uh, it says here in verse 5, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. He got depressed because God didn't accept his, uh, his offering. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? And then God the therapist says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Uh, for its, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. So already in the, in the biblical narrative, you know, there's a story of a, of, a, of a man who was profoundly disappointed and the, the words that God gave him uh, to get better. And sometimes with depression, that's what we do. We just choose mm-hmm. to make good choices, right choices, not self-sabotage choices. Uh, and uh, eventually we pull out of the hole. So, you know, uh, all throughout Scripture, I, you know, uh, in regards to hu- the, the emotions of, of being human, I think the, the book of Psalms is the best. You know, mm-hmm. through the COVID year, a uh, couple of years, 20 and 21, you know, I've been living in the book of Psalms because of the honesty that these psalmists um, had when they came to God. And it, it's not a pretty picture. You know, when right. you look at, at uh, for example, Psalm 88, this guy was clinically depressed. He was a candidate for medication. Uh, and, and, it, and the psalm doesn't end with victory. It ends with uh, abandonment and despair. Mm. And yet that's scripture. That's the reality of things. Right. Um, so what does God want for us? I, you know, I, I do think of what Paul said to the Thessalonians in Thessalonians 5, I believe it's verse 21 where he says, you know, I pray that that you may you may be found blameless uh, in your spirit, your soul, and your body. And Paul says in uh, in, in Colossians uh, one that he presents every every person, every man and woman and child, complete or whole in Christ. Mm-hmm. So there's a uh, there there's a stewardship that we have on this side of of heaven to be who God wants us to be. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in Matthew 22? He said, Lord, love the Lord your God with everything you got, your heart, your soul, and your mind. So, you know, there are, there are references all through Scripture that maybe point to different facets of, of human personality and human emotion. And um, that, being, that being said, when we look at the big picture, God wants to redeem everything. And on this side of heaven, you know, part of that can take place, but ultimate redemption will come when we go be with Jesus or he comes to get us. Mm. No, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. I love that you touched really throughout scripture. You went back to the Genesis account. You went to the Psalms, which is, um, 
I've I've definitely mentioned that more than once in the teaching series we're in right now. Um, the Psalms just really normalizes our struggles uh, and just I think models for us that the kind of honesty we are to have with with God and with each other. I love that. And then of course Paul, um, good stuff, RJ. Well, let you mentioned uh, Tanner's message yesterday on depression. Um, you know, I, I, I appreciate not only Tanner teaching in my absence, um, but more importantly, I just love his willingness. Uh, he's still cutting his teeth, you know, um, in public speaking and teaching. And he's, I mean, I just have so much love and respect for him as a, as a young, um, growing like a weed pastor. I appreciate his honesty about his own struggles. I know you were not with us yesterday, but I very purposefully, uh, passed on Tanner's um, script, his his manuscript on paper. So I know you read through it. Yep. Um, let's tackle depression for a, a few minutes. What what thoughts? First of all, do you have? Uh, I guess I guess let's just start with Tanner's message. What what if anything jumped out to you? I know he just scratched the surface. In fairness to people that really battle depression, uh, but what what thoughts do you have? Uh, don't hold back on on the teaching that Tanner shared with us yesterday. Uh, yeah, no, first of all, good job, Tanner. I, I loved the, the way you uh, zoomed the lens out and looked at uh, depression from, you know, four different perspectives. And, uh, mm. you know, because of, you know, the extent of each one, you could, uh, he could really only, you know, touch on, on, uh, on each one, um, not very much in depth, but that's, that's the reality. And I think if a person is struggling with depression, they need to look at it, take a, a multi, uh, you know, multiple views of it and, and maybe even combine, you know, sometimes the problem is wrong thinking. Uh, sometimes I, I love how Larry Crabb in one of his books describes depression as the perceived loss of something that I, I feel is necessary for my, my personal well-being. And, um, and that's, that's been so true, you know, as I've worked with people is that they lose something that they feel like they need. It's not about loss. It's not about grief exclusively. It's about how that loss has impacted them personally. And that has to do with expectations. Um, and that has to do with what I'm looking to, to meet my needs for security and significance. So all, all in all, and, and I loved uh, Tanner's honesty, you know, he shared from his own life. And I think that alone, you know, here's a leader up front, um, you know, sharing openly about his own struggles at times with depression. And that's a good thing because, again, it gives others in the congregation listening the, the permission to go ahead and, and, and come out with it. And I also like the fact that he, he really challenged some of the, the trite, pat answers that we give to people when they're depressed. And yeah. I love that because this past year, and sadly, it's come in a, a very difficult context of working with people who lost loved ones, um, uh, many through COVID. Um, and some of the responses that people give them, you know, when they lose somebody, it's like, seriously? Um, you know, you read the book of Job and I, you know, you look at the uh, responses of the three friends or four friends of Job. And at one level, they did not do well. You know, the, they, they kind of illustrate, you know, the problem is you've got sin in your life, Job. So, you know, straighten up and, and God will, 
God will be okay. You'll be okay with God when you do that. Um, and sometimes that is true. I mean, that's our story in Genesis 4. But, but more often than not, and again, Tanner developed this well, it, there are other issues involved. But the one thing that uh, Job's three friends did right, and we sometimes miss this, is they spent a week just sitting with Job. They didn't say a word. They just sat with him. And that is an important principle when you're dealing with someone who's struggling is that sometimes, more, in fact, more often than not, it's the best thing we can offer them is our presence. Just be there. No words are necessary. Just be there with them. Don't do anything for them. Just be with them. And that alone is, is how sometimes God himself shows up through his people. You know, I, I, know, I know that depression is not identical to grief and loss, but you already made the connection for me, I think in a good way that there, there is a, there is an overlap there. It's, yes. And, and you're speaking, I think to all of us who care about people battling depression, um, there's, there's overlap in how we love well, uh, just like when someone loses someone they love or, or experience tremendous loss and, you know, financially or in any way, there's, there's, there's opportunity for us not to say the right thing, but to be present. Um, yeah, and, and if I can say this, uh, Lauren, I think sometimes when we, we think that we're saying something for them, but we're really saying it, it's more about us. We, we just don't, mm-hmm. like the, we don't like the awkward silence. We think we have to say something when most of the right. time we don't. Um, and, and, and often, even though our intention is good, uh, the impact is, is, is the opposite. It's, it's unhelpful. Man, I know that and I practice that fairly well and I still forget it. I still find myself oh, yeah, me just too. wanting to fill the silence or, or thinking that, especially as a, someone who at some level even pridefully thinks, well, I can help here. <laughs> I want to offer wisdom, you know? <laughs> well, and, and that's where, you know, timing is everything. There may be a time for what you want to say is going to be yeah. absolutely necessary and helpful and hopeful, but not yet. Yeah. People are still in early grief and they just aren't ready to hear it yet. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're talking in, in part here, we're talking to people not necessarily battling depression, but, but, you know, trying to, to love people well who are battling depression. Let's, let's shift back to any of our listeners um, who are personally struggling with this. What, where does, what other thoughts do you have about depression specifically? You know, knowing that Tanner um, understandably scratched the surface in his, you know, half hour with, with our church yesterday. Um, what are the thoughts do you have about depression uh, as a trained counselor um, overlapping with you being a, a, a disciple of Jesus, a, a follower of Christ. What are the thoughts do you have about depression, RJ? Yeah, I, uh, I have a couple of thoughts. They may sound unrelated, but they're not. I hope they're not. But uh, one of the things um, that we're coming to a greater and greater understanding of is, uh, you know, the role of biochemistry, uh, the role of our neurotransmitters in depression. Um, and this is, you know, the research in this area really was started, again, back in the 70s, early 80s. And 
it's uh, continued to, I think, uh, evolve and grow with our understanding of trauma, for example, and the impact of childhood abuse on, on uh, brain development. And uh, mm. that, uh, the book by Perry and Winfrey, What Happened to You, I think is the name of it. Yes. It's, ju- it's just an excellent resource, I think, in, in a very general, understandable way. Understanding uh, helps us to understand what the, the importance of seeing how some of those memories, especially some of the early ones or the traumatic memories, are stored in the kind of the primitive brain. And as much as we want to think rightly about something, the cortex part of our brain gets sabotaged and we're not thinking logically mm. about it at all. We're reacting emotionally from the primitive brain. Just knowing that ought to give us a sense of relief because, you know, we find ourselves in situations that, uh, that were remind us of, of trauma or abuse or neglect. And, and all of a sudden we're there again. And the adult part of us knows better, but that traumatized, Maybe kid part of us doesn't, and so we react. We either fight or flight or freeze, as the sayings go, and, and we don't re- respond in a godly way. We react in a primitive way. So that, all that being said, it, I think it helps us to understand sometimes you know, where the roots of the depression go. It's not just about losing a job. It's about mm-hmm. remembering that you grew up in a home where your dad did not provide for you, and you were always scared and wondering where your next meal was going to come from. So those old fears kick in and, or, or you grew up in a home where your dad expected perfection from you. And when you lost that job or you were demoted, it kicks back that it kicked you back into that, that kind of primitive thinking that you're not enough. And, and you know, the adult, the grown up part of you knows better, you know who you are in Christ and you know, you can quote scripture, but at that moment, um, it doesn't seem like it's enough. And so you yeah. struggle. And then there then comes in the self-doubt and the self-condemnation, all of it. So, um, you know, I th- so I think sometimes as a therapist, it's not, uh, it's not an easy cut and dried, uh, um, you know, uh, problem and then solution. Uh, we're going to take, we're going to look at several perspectives from this. And because of that, then the solution comes in several ways. Mm. Um, I know long answer. Did that answer your question? No, first of all, first of all, I love, I didn't, I did not tell you anything about that book. What happened to you? I didn't mention to you, but, uh, in our interview last week with a local Christian, uh, counselor who goes to colonial here, um, and specializes in trauma, man, he loves that book. What happened to you? Um, and, my wife has read it and really enjoyed it. And I, I still have it sitting on my nightstand. I've, I've told myself several times I want to read that, but I just, you're just one more person, uh, one more professional, frankly, that says, man, that's a very, very helpful, accessible book. So I appreciate you mentioning that. And, and in the broader sense, yeah, you're answering the question. I mean, I think you're bringing, I'll say this, what I hear you saying as as one who doesn't struggle with depression, who who is trying to understand better what so many people that I care about are struggling with, it's a reminder to me that this is a complex issue, and 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 specifically there are biological factors uh, that are very real, um, and so that that's helpful to me. I think just as one who wants to to empathize and and help and. 
and frankly, encourage people to explore the complexity of their their struggle with someone who can help like yourself. Um, that's yeah, what I hear if, you saying. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think back and this was a, a former client decades ago, uh, a brilliant woman who was married to an astrophysicist. She was a giant in the area of uh, missions in her church, just a f but but clinically depressed. So I'd, I'd work with her and, you know, I'd, I'd took the approach, well, you know, you just need to see yourself as being in Christ. And those are all good things, but she would lose it. Actually, sometimes within an hour of leaving my office, she just couldn't hang on to it. And I thought, well, maybe we need to explore a, a, a biological, a biochemical issue here. So I sent her to a doctor and he said, yeah, I think you might be clinically depressed and I think this medication will help. So she got on one of the antidepressants and we had one more session because it worked. She, uh, she literally within, you know, hours of taking that first dose and they don't all work that way, but that, you know, the, the committee that was up in her head, just condemning her and all that, it just, those voices went away and, and, and it was, it was, it was a miracle in that sense, but mm -hmm. something, and that's, that's obviously an extreme example, but you know, again, if I need to be on medication because my biochemistry is, is messed up, then I need to be on medication. The same would be true of any other physical problem. That's not that I'm defeated or uh, I'm, I'm living as a carnal Christian. It just means that, you know, there's a, a part of my biochemistry that needs some help. Hmm. The, other, the other piece with that is, you know, sometimes medications only need to be uh, for a short term. I just need to kind of get myself up to zero so that I'll have the, you know, the, the, the mental and emotional energy to work on those, you know, work on mm -hmm. those memories, work on the thinking that, that has, has caused the, uh, the depression in the first place. I can work on my stuff because now I've got the capacity physically and mentally to be able to do that. Right. Hmm. Uh, so I so appreciate your perspective. Uh, I hope even in between the lines here, well, it's not between the lines, it's blatant. I hope, I hope our listeners are just recognizing that, um, man, we just need to be open to, to how, how anything can help, whether it's, you know, talking to someone, some talk therapy and, and better understanding our, our family of origin issues or just our own, our own uh, need for growth in different areas, or it's, it's biochemical. It's, it's met, it's medicinal health that can really be life changing. I know I've got a couple of my closest friends on the planet who um, have struggled with depression, still do from time to time. They're both on medication, and their medication has been life changing, life changing. Yep. Yep. And uh, and it, it was not easy. They had to figure out. You know, one of them I, I think has even had to change his medication two or three times. And had had some real hurdles to overcome just yes. in trying to figure out his biochemical needs, and yet now he's he's really doing well and looks back going, man, I'm so grateful, you know. Yeah, and that that's the that's the 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 zigzag journey of using medication is that when your doctor or or, or psychiatrist works with you, you know what what works for somebody won't work for another and sometimes what works for you for a little while stops working and so you have to keep tweaking things and and just keep just stay at it mm. yeah I, I like that term you used the zigzag zigzag journey is is right on i think unfortunately um 
speaks to the complexity and the uniqueness of how each of us is wired. And well, let, let me, um, I want to, I want to ask you this before we leave. Um, I asked, uh, Cesar, Cesar, excuse me, Cesar that we interviewed last week, uh, about this. And I've, I've talked to some other counseling friends over the years. There's definitely, there's a stigma still among so many people about professional counseling. Uh, I think that exists every bit as much in the church as it does anywhere else in some ways more so maybe. Um, what do you say to a Christian brother or sister who, for whatever reason, and, and there's a, there's a gamut of reasons, for whatever reason, is not open to professional counseling. Um, I have a feeling you have something to say to that, RJ. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I I do. I, and again, let's let's approach the problem medically for a second. If you had if a, if if you had a problem with um, you know with any other physical malady, what would you do about it? You'd go to a doctor. Why? Because they're an expert. Mm. Um, is isn't the same true with respect to our our mental health issues? We know so much more than we've we we've ever known about you know how the brain works, how the how the biochemistry works, and so to me, it's not an issue of defeat. It's just an issue of or sin. It's an issue of wisdom, and again, I would, I would probably, if someone said that to me, um, and it's interesting because I, I was on a, a, a different uh, podcast last week uh, about that, and my response to the person that asked the very similar question is, you might want to take a look at what's motivating this. Is this your own pride? Um, you, you, ju- you just don't want to be exposed, so you'd rather say, You'd rather give the the Christian answer. Well, I, it's just this is just going to be between me and God. Well, okay, I I might go with you on that, but I would also say this, and here's where sometimes I'll I'll go ahead and go to the book of James, chapter five, where James says this. Um, you know, confess your sins one to another, pray for one another that you may be what forgiven? No, healed. Mm. We find our forgiveness in God, but we find our healing in the community, and that's by design. Um, the, the community, and let me also say this, you know, d- decades ago, uh, you know, when I was first had my practice, a lot of times I would leave sessions uh, with my clients going, you know, um, I think I helped them, but honestly what I really did was what I think anybody can do if they learned how to listen and they learned how to care, and they learned how to be present. Uh, you know, you read the research, Truax and Karkoff, their research, um, uh, Gerard Ellis's in his book, The Skilled Helper, he cites source after source. M. Scott Peck in his book, Road Less Travel, all say the same thing, that who you are as a therapist is way, important, way more important than what you do as a therapist. You can have a, a huge toolbox, um, that's you know filled with great tools. Don't want to minimize those, but sometimes uh, uh, some more basic tools that any of us can have that trained or not can use. Thoughtful listening, um, acceptance, loving people for who they are rather than what they should be. That those are all just important tools to create a, a culture, a community where people can be honest. What people mm-hmm. need to feel and what they were, they're willing to spend big bucks to see a therapist is they want to feel safe. They want to know that what they're 
telling that person is not going to go anywhere. And unfortunately, yeah. sometimes in the Christian community, we're not very good at that, of keeping secrets. Mm. But um, so, so yeah, I, I'm not sure if I answered. I, that's, a, that's a soapbox. I'll get on. Well, let me, let me uh, take it to a specific, like another level for specifically men. Um, I just had this thought. Um, you know, I talked to um, Ellen Bourgeois, who's a director of a local Christian counseling group. That interview is going to be coming out on our next week's podcast, but I already, I already interv- interviewed her knowing about the holidays. And I was struck. I wasn't surprised, unfortunately, but I was struck when she told me that um, women are outnumbering men coming to their counseling group uh, by a factor, I think, of four. Yeah, um, that's, that's consistent with the numbers I've seen. So, so let me just make a huge assumption and ask you this same question. What is up with dudes? What is up with men refusing to get help or not understanding what could happen if they, if they stepped into that arena with professionally trained counselors? What what do you say to guys that are resisting or, or flat out rejecting that, that help? Is it back to back to your pride word? Is that all it is? No, no. I think so. I think sometimes that's a big part of what it is. Um, I also think, uh, and by the way, that I think that's changing somewhat. I, you know, it's still okay. really slow because, you know, that male persona is is uh, is still a, a very alive and well. You know, I've got to be I've got to be Rambo. I've got to be very capable. I've got to be strong and and just. You know, if I get cut, I need to sew myself up. Um, so that, that's a piece of it. Um, but I think the other piece is that guys want to feel like they're guys. And I think sometimes um, what they feel when they're in a therapist's office is, is not that, that, that they're not accepted as a guy. I know that sounds, I hope that doesn't sound tacky, but... Um, I think that's where guys need to relate to to guys sometimes as guys. So I, I, I want to make sure I'm understanding you right. Is, is it as simple as seeing a male counselor? Then is it? Well, I think that's part of it. But I, you know, uh, um, a, a male therapist who's who's a regular guy. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got a I've got a dear friend who's been in this. Uh, he does a lot of spiritual formation stuff, a lot of counseling, and he's in his 60s, but he's a guy's guy, and I say that in the best sense of the word. He's, he's relatable to, to a lot of men is what I yeah, say. Yeah, yes, yep. He, yeah. he gets what being a man is, and yeah. he gets what being a man's man is. Right. So, you know, I think, I think that helps, you know, and I've seen that, I've seen a change in my own practice through the years, you know, that women have always outnumbered the men, but I'm seeing more and more. I mean, right now I'm, I'm working just about exclusively with men or couples or mm. the man in the couples. And I'm sending the wives to a, 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 a dear female a colleague, outstanding therapist. And then I work in with the husbands and then the two of us work together with the couple. Yeah. So, um, and I hope, gosh, when I say that, I even kind of cringe when I say it that way, because I don't want to come off as chauvinist or any of that. 
um, I think we've also, anyway, I, I don't want to go down that road. <laughs> well, I think I trust, I trust our male listeners are, are really tracking with what you're saying. And I know, um, I know our married female listeners, um, you know what, I'm not going to speak for them, but I, I have a pretty strong hunch that they, they long for their favorite guys, um, their companions to, to have a, a man that can, re, they can relate to and can talk to. And, um, you know, God has made us unique, yes, male and female. And we yes. have, we have different needs and, and yet I am convinced that both males and females, there's a time and a place to, to find help. Um, yep. and I think that's the simple truth that maybe we can land on together is whether it's battling depression, as we talked about this weekend here at Colonial, or as we've talked about the last few weeks, anxiety and uh, worry. Um, we were talking about uh, burnout and negative thinking. Um, we talked about trauma already. I mean, all these issues that, that are under this, this heading of mental health, um, th- there is a time and a place to, to go beyond dealing with that on our own and, and finding some, some professional help. Just like you mentioned a doctor, I think about, you know, our car needs help. We don't, we don't just try to figure out, some of us just try to figure out with YouTube help now, you know, Oh yeah. <laughs> but we don't always have the tools we need and, and some jobs are way harder than others. And I think, I think that analogy plays into our own mental health and, and well-being as well. Um, yeah, no, for sure. Well, RJ, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today um, on the podcast. Um, I I just I'm so grateful to have people like you who can, um, at the very least, affirm some of the thoughts I have as a pastor and a student of Scripture and a, a helper of people, and at most even and providing some some insight that we don't have. So thank you for being one of of Thank you for being willing to use your life experience and your training to bless the church. I know you're still doing that up in Denver. Thank you for that, man. Yeah, and if, um, if I can say, I, there was one other thought I had. You know what? It, yeah, what really, it. yeah. What really excites me about this, Lauren? I know you guys have launched your CR, and that's that's a great launch pad for this. But as this mm. expands through your series at the church, it just just excites me to know to know in to think that if you know if colonial can be a place where people can take off their masks and just be honest it it really brings to play brings into play uh paul's illustration in first corinthians 12 it gives the body a chance to be the really a chance to be the body yeah one of one of my favorite verses is uh second corinthians 1 4 but says god blessed be the god of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we can comfort others in their affliction with the same comfort that we were comforted uh, uh, with. You know, when I, when I go through my own journey of depression and get on the other side and, and gain some wisdom and some healing in that area, God is going to use me, not as a therapist, but as a, a, a wounded healer to come alongside others in the, mm. in the congregation. And that's how the body is meant to operate. Yeah. And, you know, as long as we, um, you know, can keep that perspective... Uh, to me, the, the future is bright. And it is not because, uh, you know, people are going to get, everybody's going to get victorious. 
It's that everybody's going to get real and everybody's going to experience the grace of uh, the grace of God and, and find and find genuine healing. And, and I'll say it, genuine victory in the, those areas where they'd been struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my favorite books on prayer by Pete Grieg called God on Mute. He says this somewhere in the book, he says um, he quotes a, a Jewish rabbi who said that God's language is human beings. And I think that's way more true than we would like to acknowledge and admit because, again, it involves vulnerability. And all you have to do is go back to the book of Genesis and see that from our first dad, Adam, he did not want to, he did not want to be honest. He, uh, he wanted to hide because he was afraid. So that's what we have going against us. But what we do have going for us is the unconditional love of God and the grace that's found in Jesus, the grace and forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ. Great place to land. Thank you, RJ. Thank you, My brother. Pleasure, Lauren. Thank you. Uh, thank you again for your friendship to me and your gift to the church. Thank you for joining us today, RJ. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Lauren. 